Welcome to Rougher Radio, a series of podcasts in which we explore the investment universe and share our interpretation of what's going on. When central banks began hiking interest rates, their objective was simple, quell inflation and restore price stability. And in so doing, try not to break anything, either the economy or financial markets. But hiking cycles throughout the ages share a common trait. Something always breaks. And so it ever was. Today, I'm joined by investment director Joss North to review the trials and tribulations of the first quarter of 2023, to look at what has broken and what might be still to break, and importantly, how the rougher portfolio is navigating a new flavour of financial crisis. Has the investment universe fundamentally changed? Arguably not. We've just had a bit of a delay to where we were uh, and where we thought we were going. Heading into the quarter, you mentioned the central bank uh, interest rate rises last year. We had about 450 basis points of interest rate rises in the US. So heading into the quarter, we were looking out for that moment when those interest rate rises would start to impact the real economy. We thought, uh, and in hindsight, the market thought that that would come quite quickly as we headed into 2023. And it's turned out to be not exactly the case. And this has been for a couple of reasons. The first one, China reopening. At the back end of 2022, the Chinese economy reopened, abandoned the zero COVID policy. And then the second one was stimulus from the Bank of Japan. And what that's essentially done is has pushed out that moment where something broke. And we saw that in March. So when you look at Q1 as a whole, uh, we're actually pretty much back to where we were at the beginning of the first quarter, uh, where you started. We're expecting to see the impact of these central bank uh, interest rate rises start to play out quite soon. Bizarrely, Joss, equities have done pretty well then across the course of the first quarter. They have. Well, more than all, all the gains happened at the beginning of the first quarter. Okay, so, so January and February, equities flew on the back of China reopening, Japan coming coming in with more stimulus, and then March was really when the, the moment of impact happened. Exactly. What we saw is you know, if, if we take the high point for equity markets for the quarter, that was in early February. Global equities in sterling were up around over 8%. They finished the quarter up just over 4%. So that, you know, there's been a, a significant pullback through the latter half of February and into March. Just the market dynamics that came into play then in March and are very much in play now, they are dynamics that are supportive of Ruffer's core investment thinking. These are things, particularly with respect to liquidity, that Ruffer have been speaking about and writing about, you know, certainly for a year, if not a little bit longer. So why then, Joss, has the Ruffer portfolio maybe not held up as well as some people, some clients and investors might have expected? So I think if you if you step back, the majority of the quarter, we've not had conditions consistent with our liquidation thesis, the thesis that we've written about and started positioning the portfolios for from the middle of last year. How so? Well, I, I mentioned those two events, China reopening uh, and uh, stimulus from the central bank, um, the Japanese central bank. Essentially, they were net liquidity injections into financial markets. So along with the uh, economic impact of that China reopening, what you had was the People Bank, People's Bank of China stimulate. After two and a half years of, of zero COVID um, and a lockdown economy, China, the Chinese authorities are um, pretty in, um, 
focused on making this a success. So it's a it's a it's a whole um, it's a whole of government effort. And so you've had stimulus from China, stimulus from uh, the Bank of Japan, actually conditions which have been the opposite of our liquidation thesis. And on that, Joss, uh, a difficult task, but one I'm sure you're up to. Could you define liquidation thesis, or what is the core of the liquidation thesis in in two or three sentences? Very simply, it is liquidity being drained from financial markets. So it's excess cash, excess money in financial markets, finding a home, boosting asset prices. Very simply, it's that process being withdrawn, um, either um, by raising the cost of money, so higher interest rates, or asset sales from central banks. So in the US, it's quantitative tightening, so uh, unwinding uh, the asset purchases in the the post-pandemic era through direct sales of those asset prices. This is all reducing uh, liquidity in financial markets. And that's the that's the big concern. And that's what you think, Joss, could be really monumentally painful for investors. But I just want to stick with Ruffer's performance for the first quarter. What was it that, that hurt performance over the course of, of January and February? So we have uh, in the portfolio uh, allocation to protective strategies. They take the form of uh, derivatives, uh, so protection on equity indices, as well as protection from uh, higher corporate borrowing costs. These uh, protective assets have a cost. And in a quarter where equity markets on aggregate were positive, but particularly in those first two months of the year, that cost of protection uh, is is a large reason why the portfolio is, is, is slightly underwater for the quarter. And in March, they presumably started moving in the other direction. Exactly. So the performance for the strategy in March, particularly around some of the stresses to do with Silicon Valley Bank and then Credit Suisse, the performance for the portfolio in March was doing exactly what we would hope it to do. Joss, it took more than five minutes for us to mention Silicon Valley Bank, but let's uh, hone in then on the US uh, banking sector. Um, so... With interest rates north of 4%, why aren't more investors fleeing asset markets? Why hasn't the the liquidation thesis, you know, maybe been or played out more quickly than than some people are expecting? At 4%, risk-free rate, you can even get 5% with some with some uh, some banks. Why aren't all investors moving to this safe yield? There's certainly a, some form of inertia there where uh, it takes time for the impact of these higher rates to filter out through the system. And, and that's been one of the unusual things of, of this tightening cycle. It's happened incredibly quickly. If you go back a year, interest rates had only just got off the floor. And here we are today, and the base rate in, in the US is is five. So it's happened incredibly quickly. Um, so you would expect there to be a bit of time before these inter- these higher interest rates to, to, to feed through. Now, when you look at asset markets and what, that question of why aren't investors taking money out of asset markets, well, one of the phenomenons that we've seen is that you, you haven't been able to get that, int- that same interest rate on deposit. You know, we, we're talking about around central banks raising interest rates to levels of four or five. Well, the ordinary investor, if they were to pull money from their equity portfolio or their fixed income portfolio, would not be able to achieve that interest rate on cash. And so that's one of the reasons. Now, you can observe this in prior tightening cycles. Banks are very slow to raise interest rates. Ultimately, they want to get the benefit of the repricing of their loans before they reprice their deposits, essentially to protect their their margin. They benefit from higher interest rates on loans, 
uh, and then the lower interest rates on deposits that they pay out to their depositors. But this does create a tension, and it's one of the reasons uh, for some of the um, issues in the banking system over the past month. Essentially, what we're now seeing is that moment where depositors wake up to the higher interest rates available and are pulling money from the banking system and depositing it in in, in money market funds. Just. I'm going to move from one sort of commercial uh, and investment banking realm to another realm of banking, the realm of central bankers. Central bankers are the only game in town. And over the course of the last six months, we've been waxing lyrical about how they have a fundamentally important decision to make. That decision now looks extremely difficult. Uh, It looks very difficult that for central bankers to to get this right. What's your view on what that choice is that they face and how likely are they to succeed in their objectives? So the choice is between monetary stability, read inflation, versus financial stability, financial markets. Because what's become plain in the last month is that the interest rate required to slow inflation and to slow the economy is much higher than the interest rate with which financial markets can take. So you have this tension now where central banks are going to have to prioritise one over the other. And we we kind of saw this uh, earlier on in the quarter. Essentially, coming into the the year, central banks are keen to avoid repeating the something always breaks cycle. So they had telegraphed a slowdown in when I say central banks, what I'm referring to here is the the Federal Reserve, but um, other uh, global central banks will follow. They had telegraphed a slowdown in the pace of their interest rate rises from 75 basis points in October down to 50 basis points, down to 25 basis points. And the expectation was that they would like to pause to acknowledge that monetary policy works in lags, and that they had, there had been this extraordinary tightening cycle over the course of 2022. However, the very process of telegraphing that slowdown and then pause, and then those dynamics which we spoke about earlier in the conversation around China reopening and, and, and liquidity coming from the Bank of Japan, essentially supported growth and supported inflation. And then we, we've seen inflation start to rise again from the low level of 10 in the UK and 6 in the US. And this is consistent with history. One of the lessons from the 1960s that you'll hear Jerome Powell talk about is, is not to ease policy too soon. But one of the lessons from that period is that you really have to wring inflation out of the system in order to avoid it coming back when, when the cycle turns again. So we had that um, tiny uh, pickup again in inflation. Central banks telegraphed that they're going to raise interest rates again uh, and further. Jerome Powell in front of Congress in in early March opened the the door to an increase in the pace of those interest rate rises. And then we had the break moment. Then we had Silicon Valley Bank, then we had Signature Bank, then we had Credit Suisse. So we are now at that moment where things are breaking. Financial stability is at risk. And that's coming at a time when Inflation is picking up again from those levels that I spoke about, 10 and and 6. So this is the choice. If they were just to focus on the financial stability part of uh, their mandate, then they would be pausing here because banking stresses will inevitably lead to 
slower credit growth, slower economic growth, but it just might come with a lag. If they were to look on the inflation side, there's no way they should be pausing interest rate rises here. They should be hiking more and more aggressively. So that's the tension. And, and which way they go will set the tone for the rest of the year. The signaling of the Federal Reserve versus the action that they take is, is fascinating. It's, called, it's sort of like, you know, there's three frogs on a log and one of the frogs decides to jump into the water. How many frogs are left on the log? Well, the answer is three because they haven't actually made the leap. They have signaled a leap. They've made that decision, but they haven't actually done anything yet. So the decision is yet to come. Now, maybe on a more optimistic note, Joss, because it's been rather dreary so far, not our conversation. That's obviously been a thrill. But where in the rougher portfolio could returns be made, positive returns, potentially even returns above that which you might get on cash? A core Part of the rougher portfolio remains inflation-linked bonds in the UK and in the US. And if you think about that dilemma central banks are facing, if they favour financial stability over monetary stability at a time when inflation is at high single digits, that's going to support these inflation-linked bonds because you will likely start to see the repricing of inflation expectations. If... You know, one of the largest tightening cycles since 1980 hasn't been able to slow inflation and central banks are stopping that tightening cycle, you would expect inflation expectations, a higher inflation expectations to become embedded and that supports these, these inflation bonds. And you've got a decent allocation to commodities as well? We do. That's uh, the same theme played slightly differently. Uh, commodities, um, we add, it's one of the parts of the portfolio where we, we've added to this quarter there's been a, a pullback in a whole range of commodities and we've taken advantage of what we think will be a long-term allocation after uh, after decent repricing. What are the big risks, Joss, facing the rougher portfolio, not only in this quarter, but over the course of the next 12 months? Because if we look at the previous 12 months, you know, it's been choppy financial markets, you know, rougher has sort of um, been pretty steady and that's that's been great. But what are the big threats to capital that the portfolio is protecting against? So one of the, the big threats to the portfolio is in the assets, which we think represent the part of uh, the portfolio that is protecting from those big threats to capital, to investors' capital, and that's higher inflation um, through these inflationing bonds. Now, the very fact that we're uh, protecting from that inflation risk with these uh, instruments means that that's probably the part of the portfolio that's most vulnerable. So what do I mean by that? If we were to see significantly higher real yields, that would impact the portfolio. But we think that the, the risk of higher real yields now is much lower, especially after the events of March, than it was at any point in the last 18 months. It's something, Joss, that our CIO, Henry Maxey, has spoken about a lot, but the market makes it really uncomfortable to hold the assets during a crisis that you absolutely want to own on the other side. So it kind of feels like we're, we're a bit in that stage now. Now, Joss, one of the hats that you wear at Ruffer is to look after the, the UK institutional business. How have your clients and your investors fared over the course of the last year? What lessons are you seeing and, and how are you responding from a, from a manager's point of view? So one of the core components to, to any UK institutional business over the, you know, the past decades has been corporate-defined benefit schemes corporate defined benefit pension schemes and, and um, 
we had a significant investor base uh, of 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 these DB schemes had past tense had past tense and and Jonathan actually references this in his uh, in his investment review clearly DB schemes were the epicenter of of the LDI issues last September October um, and essentially many of our our DB schemes are now in a position despite the LDI issues to um, to, to to essentially reach buyout so issues from LDI. But actually, these these schemes are in a much better position, so there's less need for rougher going forward. That's interesting, and you know, really in their time of need, in the 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 maelstrom of the LDI crisis, rougher was able to return capital, and that was the key point. Actually, at that point, it wasn't return on capital; it was return of capital. So, so rougher did its job, really. Then, yeah, and and we think of this as is the, the the 2008 moment for 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 rougher's UK for rougher's institutional business. So you'll remember that um, leading up to 2008, we were still a predominantly private client, um, individual investor firm. Um, Our institutional business grew post-2008 on the back of that strong performance uh, and the role that we could play in in the portfolio. But these clients hadn't themselves experienced the real benefit of of the rougher strategy. And for corporate-defined benefit pension schemes, that happened in, in, in 2022, where diversification failed, and Ruffo was able to provide that that capital preservation, diversification, and liquidity. From a business perspective, clearly we're we're still focusing on our UK institutional client base, and we think there are some significant read acrosses to how we performed in 2022 at the strategy level, and also the role that we can uh, we can play for for other area other segments of the UK institutional client base, uh, and predominantly that's defined contribution pension schemes. Um, so those are the pension schemes, Rory, that you and I have, um, not uh, not those uh, defined uh, benefit pension schemes for the older generations. Um, and also a- another area of our, our business, which is local government pension schemes. So for defined contribution, um, the focus in this uh, segment for the past decade has been the growth phase of the life cycle because the investor who has defined contribution tend to be younger, you know, they're growing, they're still taking more risk, but that's now switching towards pre-retirement. So that period in the run-up to retirement. And the asset allocation in this part of the life cycle has essentially been a sophisticated version of life cycling. So the older you get, the more de-risking you do and you go to fixed income to achieve that de-risking. Now, 2022 was that return of inflation risk and we all know what happened to fixed income markets and strategies that have de-risked through fixed income their performance was 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 pretty shocking, to be honest. Um, so we think there's a real opportunity for for Ruffer, with its focus on capital preservation and diversification, to play a role within uh, defined contribution schemes at that part of the life cycle. And it's pretty similar for for local governments as well. Um, you know, they've had a uh, uh, an asset allocation that's had diversification from equities, but they've done so with bonds, credit, property, uh, infrastructure, duration-linked assets. And again, in this more volatile and inflationary world, that diversification fails. So we think there's a, you know, there's, a there's another uh, opportunity for Rafa as part of that new forms of diversification that are going to be essential going forward. Interesting. And then, Joss, just to bring it out bigger picture, then how's the portfolio shaping up? What do you currently own that you definitely want to be owning? Um, is there anything in the portfolio at the moment that that you're adding to? Anything like that? We think the portfolio is in pretty good shape for the world where we ultimately think we're, end- we're ending up. The big question heading into this year, 
uh, as we've discussed, was you know, at what level of interest rates, bond yields, real bond yields would be required to, um, to slow the economy and start to impact financial markets. I think we've had that moment. For us, that de-risks, as it were, you know, the core element to the portfolio in those inflationary bonds. So you know, we think from here, they offer an asymmetric return profile. You know, the upside could be significant and we're probably in, in the sort of zone of, of, of limited downside. Commodities will be important. And again, this is to uh, to pick up on the comment you made referencing Henry Maxi, our CIO, in, in, in the way that the market makes it as uncomfortable as possible to, to own and, and hold the assets that you need for the next cycle. And we think commodities will be another important element to it. Ultimately, we don't think equities are out of the woods yet. You know, the market's behaving a little bit as, it, as if it was, uh, hence the positive quarter for equities. And we think that's significantly underpricing the recession risk, which we think we're heading into for the, for the, for the back end of the year. So equity weight low, likely to remain so, protection in place for falling equity markets, return opportunities available by those inflationary bonds and, and, and commodities. Something always breaks, Joss, but crucially, we have to be curiously indifferent to the timing of exactly when, and that very much sounds like how the portfolio is shaped up. Joss, thanks so much for joining. And thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Rougher Radio on the App Store, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of Rougher LLP. They do not constitute as investment research or advice and may be subject to change. Rougher LLP is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK and is registered as an investment advisor with the US Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Thank you.